I believe we're, we've made it to point five in this, um, in the outline. And so far, in the book, uh, in the chapter on salvation, we have covered, the first point was the basis of our salvation, identifying what the basis of our salvation is, right? The work of Christ, the person and work of Christ. Uh, secondly, we covered some of the liberal criticisms and Machen's responses. Thirdly, um, his point that he made that the basis of our salvation, the work of Christ accomplished, results in a new creation, right? That was what the work uh, was to do, right? He gives us the spirit, uh, and that spirit applies what Christ has done to us. I, I always say, you know, when we think of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is also a pointer who points us to Christ, right? Back to Christ. Um, and fourthly, the basis of our salvation results now the Christian life is to live by faith and by hope. And um, once you get to the part on hope, uh, for many people, and I've heard this from many, especially uh, Christians who are really distraught by the way society is going, by the way the culture is going, and when we, when we try to correct them and say, well, our ultimate hope is not in this world. They kind of look at it as being defeatist. Uh, but it's not being defeatist. It's the truth. Our hope, the Christian's hope, is to finally, one day, see God face to face in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the hope of the Christian life. To finally be in that place where we will be with God forever in our eternal home. This world is not our home. And Machen is not at all saying that we are to withdraw completely from society. We're not Amish, right? Uh, we don't follow uh, Amish doctrine when it comes to that. He is not saying that. But what he is doing in this chapter is making a distinction. Um, a lot of people don't like making distinctions, but we must. Because if we don't make distinctions, we're going to be led to despair. Right? We're going to be led to despair. We're going to be overworked. We're going to be burnt out if we don't make distinctions. And what Machen has been doing, and this maybe will help clarify last week's lesson, is that Machen is making a distinction between the roles of the church versus the roles of human institutions in society. Right? Because what liberals were doing at that time, and unfortunately, this is not just liberals who do this. A lot of conservatives do this as well. Is they're turning the church into just another one of these human institutions. Right? The church becomes kind of like a YMCA social club, uh, a boys and girls club, maybe even you know, a state house or a town hall meeting. Uh, th but that's not what the church is for. Because remember his comments from the last uh, lesson on prison reform. He was basically saying that the state's role is not to share the gospel. That's not the state's role. 
The state's role is not to live out the Sermon on the Mount or enforce the Sermon on the Mount. The state's role is an eye for an eye. That's what the state does. The state wields the sword. The church preaches the gospel and Christians are now to live out the Sermon on the Mount in whatever capacity we live in. Uh, something we don't realize about the Sermon on the Mount, and I, I was thinking through this, how uh, Jesus, in many ways, in many parts, I, I don't want to parse through all of it today because it'll take the whole uh, lesson, but in many ways, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he's rehashing the Ten Commandments and saying, you know, you're interpreting this wrongly, and this is what it really means. But that's not all he was doing. It was also something new. The Sermon on the Mount was something new for many reasons. The kingdom had come in Jesus Christ. He brought the kingdom. So there was something new here. And the old was passing away. Israel as a nation was passing away. And so he was also, at some points, teaching Christians how they are to live as exiles in this world. Now that Israel is no longer a nation, and you no longer have, I guess this is a little anachronistic, but you don't have a state church anymore, this is how you live. This is why he corrected the eye for an eye. He's saying that that's, that's for the state. Israel as a nation, they enforced an eye for an eye. But now that you live as Christians, you're living as pilgrims, you're living as exiles, you are to love your enemies. You are to forgive your enemies. This is your role as a civilian, right? So he was, in many ways, teaching us how to live as Christian civilians living among pagans, okay? So the Sermon on the Mount was not meant for the state. In fact, Jesus was abrogating the civil law in the Sermon on the Mount. So this will help us in trying to define what is Christianity about, what is the role of Christianity, and how we can misuse Christianity, or misuse the church even. And this comes to our fifth point. Christianity is misused as a means to an end in liberalism, and unfortunately even today by some conservatives. Because for the liberal, the hope to see God, remember, is defeatist. Because for the liberal, this world is all that there is. Since most liberal preachers reject the historical bodily resurrection of Christ, they have little to say about the next world or heaven. This world becomes the center of all his thought and all his sermons. Like I said today, the ironic thing is that this is a trend even in so-called conservative churches especially in response to a decaying culture. The liberal preacher only focuses on the betterment of conditions upon this earth. So religion becomes a mere function of the community or the state. It's funny how many people think that pastors and churches are funded by the state. Have you ever spoke to someone who thought that? Or how many people you've talked to who who have the opinion that it should be funded 
by the state because the church to them is just a means to an end. That's all it is. Believe it or not, there are churches out there that are funded by the state, and so they have state-sponsored messages every Sunday. Um, Messages about human goodness and human progress. I remember watching a local broadcast of a church back home, and there was no pastor in the pulpit. It was led by local government officials. It was a scary scene which reminded me of communist China. Because to the liberal and to many Christians today, believe it or not, religion is just a means to an end. He gives us many examples of how Christianity is misused as a means to an end here. And some of it is probably relevant to today and probably controversial for some. The first way that we can misuse Christianity as a means to an end is to help solve societal problems. Uh, He brings up the problem of immigration and how we use force and oppressive laws that we oftentimes say are biblical. Uh, Let me quote Machen extensively here to understand his context. He says, even hard-headed businessmen and politicians have become convinced that religion is needed. But it is thought to be needed, needed merely as a means to an end. We have tried to get along. The word there, I know in your, um, in your notes is probably alone, but no, it's along. To get along without religion, it is said. But the experiment was a failure. And now religion must be called in to help. Think of all that we're going through as a nation. How many people are saying to themselves right now, now religion is needed to help. We need religion to help unite Americans. You didn't need it before, but now that society is going down the tubes, you think religion is going to fix the problem. He continues speaking of his own context and the time he was living in where uh, there was an influx of immigrants coming from Southern Europe. He says, for example, there is the problem. He's being sarcastic here. Okay? He's not being, he doesn't consider this an actual problem. Okay? He's being sarcastic. Remember, he was a libertarian. For example, there is the problem of the immigrants. Great populations have found a place in our country. They do not speak our language or know our customs. And we do not know what to do with them. We have attacked them by oppressive legislation or proposals of legislation But such measures have not been altogether effective. Somehow, again, he's being sarcastic. Somehow, these people display a perverse attachment to the language that they learned at their mother's knee. It may be strange that a man should love the language that he learned at his mother's knee. But these people do love it. And we are perplexed in our efforts to produce a unified American people. So religion is called in to help. We are inclined to proceed against the immigrants now with a Bible in one hand and a club in the other, offering them the blessings of liberty. That is what is sometimes meant by Christian Americanization. So we can say that Machen was not in favor of Christian nationalism. We can say that he wasn't into cultural Christianity 
nor did he expect the state to enforce Christianity or to be exclusively Christian, nor was he in favor of forced Americanization of immigrants, such as removing their culture, removing their language, or introducing oppressive legislation on the immigrants to to dehumanize them. Again, remember, from the background studies, Machen was a cultural or societal liberal. He was a libertarian. He wouldn't have done well around the New England Puritans or, or many conservatives today, or even his Presbyterian forefathers of the 16th and 17th century. Uh, We must be reminded a little bit here about history. American Presbyterianism broke with their Puritan background in the 18th century. Okay, there was a break in their thought, and it was called the Revolutionary War. Okay, once the Revolutionary War was in play, many of the Presbyterians who supported it, which was most Presbyterians, many of them uh, was in favor of uh, separating church and state. They did not want an established religion or forced Christianity in our country. And this is what caused American Presbyterians to break from the Covenanters. Okay? There was a break between American Presbyterians and Covenanters. And this is why the Covenanters would go west to western Pennsylvania, and the American Presbyterians would find their, we call it, capital in Philadelphia, which was supposed to be the original capital uh, of America, okay? And in 1789, there was a change to our Confession of Faith and Catechism, which we adopt as the OPC today. Uh, It's the 1789 American Presbyterian Revisions, to church-state relations. And this is what is on Machen's mind. I believe in the back of his mind that he is, he is working this out in his mind. And remember, he's a Southerner, uh, very much so. And um, he didn't believe in uh, forcing groups of people uh, to become culturally American or even Christian. You cannot force Christianity on anyone. He was more like a Roger Williams figure of the Presbyterian Church. If you don't know who Roger Williams was, he was a Baptist minister who fought for religious freedom in Massachusetts, in Puritan Massachusetts. Uh, specifically, he was defending the rights of Native Americans to worship their false gods. Right? Uh, the New England Puritans were not in favor, so he was excommunicated from Massachusetts to Rhode Island, which is my home state, by the way. At one point, we did believe in freedom of religion. I don't know about now, but anyway. So we know that Christianity cannot be forced, and this is his point. It is only by the Spirit of God that one is converted. So tell me how it is possible to Christianize an entire nation without the use of force. We can't. We try to do it, as he said, with the Bible in one hand and the club in the other. And we have witnessed over the last 10 centuries or so that it hasn't worked this way. Remember, Presbyterians and Congregationalists went to war against each other. Congregationalists went to war with Anglicans. Anglicans 
went to war and persecuted Presbyterians. I mean, it went on and on. The only way to have a Christian nation is if all Christians can agree. And they can't. We can't agree. That's the first hurdle you'd have to jump. Now, a a nation built on Christian principle, that's a different story altogether. And that, I believe, we have been uh, in America, even in many ways still today, even with all this decay. But it's interesting to note that we see more of a concern to use religion as a means to fix the American problem today among conservatives. But Machen in his day would have viewed this move as being liberal. It was a liberal problem. And oh, how the tables have turned today. Um, The second way we can misuse Christianity as a means to an end is by making oppressive and repressive laws the way communists have done. He addresses the problem of communism and trying to reconcile class warfare if there truly was ever a battle between the classes of people that can be debated. He says that the measures being used to make society more fair and equal are measures being used by both sides of the aisle today, like suppressing freedom of speech and freedom of the press, right? I believe both sides are using this today. We believe, and it starts off by accusing the press of spreading lies. So we work to remove their freedom and so we can import our own narrative. That's Soviet Union style. That's Nazi Germany all over again. We say to ourselves, they're lying to me. Let's shut them out. Let's cancel them so we can import our own narrative. Tell me that this is not the battle today. And he says that's a problem if we try to go down down that road. I believe this is one of the reasons why one of the biggest skeptics of his time, H.L. Mencken, respected Machen because Machen wasn't like other Christians at that time. He wasn't a Puritan, according to Mencken. Uh, Christians at the time wanted to ban alcohol use, dance halls, and theaters where free speech was being utilized. Now, these are some of the same things that were banned by the New England Puritans 100 plus years before. There was no such thing as freedom of speech or freedom of the press in New England under Congregationalist rule. Uh, I'm reading a, a book. I, I, I don't know if he's an atheist. Maybe he's just a religious unbeliever. Uh, I don't know his background. I don't want to say. I don't want to slander him. Uh, but uh, the guy's name is Michael Winship. And he has a book called Hot Protestants. I recommend everybody reading it. Even Christians. Um, because it's, it, it records some history that we tend to ignore. About our own forefathers. Uh, and the mistakes we have made. But it's good to learn from mistakes, isn't it? Um, it's good to point them out and say, okay, maybe we could have done things a little differently. Now, is he biased in what he writes? I believe so. And I believe at some points he does exaggerate uh, the motives of some of the people involved. But it's good to know some of this information. But these are principles, the principles of freedom in society that Machen believed in. Because he said, says with all these measures and these repressive laws in place always seems to be unable to check the march of ideas. Those ideas still come up, no matter how much you try to repress them through law. So I think instead of working on oppressive and repressive laws, 
Laws that restrain freedom, Christians ought to promote freedom in society. The Christian ought to be working toward the art of debate. This is why debate has been at the fabric of American society since the beginning, right? Being able to speak and debate your ideas because Christianity can only spread through persuasion. So what we should be doing is getting to know our stuff. And this goes back to education. Uh, This is why I believe Christian education is so important. This is why the OPC believes that Christian education is so important. Sunday school, you coming not only to the service, but sitting here. Uh, Although the means of grace is far more important, but Christian education is still important for the Christian. Then he speaks of international peace. Talk about all the relevant ideas he's just getting at here. He's speaking of the same things that happen over and over again. And Christians seem never to learn their lesson. We never seem to look at it and say, yeah, maybe we should try it a different way. Uh, That is still in accord with scripture. Maybe the way of Daniel. Maybe the way of Joseph. Those who were living as pilgrims. Those who were living in exile. He speaks of international peace. And every time we think we have solved the problem, another war is started. We think legislation or making deals or treaties is going to stop war. And when all this fails, again, we call religion in to help. This is what Christianity is reduced down to. He doesn't think using Christianity for international peace is a good thing. He thinks we're reducing the message to something worldly, something earthly. It's just another tool in the toolbox And then we put it away. And we forget. Right. Um, I I recommend a book. Another book. By Daryl Hart. And I think we have it in the uh, foyer. It's called A Secular Faith. And he makes the argument. Have we ever thought. When we invoke the name of God. Or if you're someone in power. And you invoke the name of God. That you can be doing it. In vain. And that you're just using Christianity as a means to an end. And this is something for every politician or anyone to search their hearts about. Because that's a violation of God's law. In itself. Using God's name and the gospel as just a means to fix the world. Is another way of using the Lord's name in vain. For the liberal... Religion is only used for this world and it is not a message of the world to come. Okay. Now the problem with using religion as a means to an end is that eventually it degrades and destroys that religion. Because as soon as it is no longer useful, it is disregarded. This is how people use the church today. People sitting in pews every Sunday I see no change. I see no change in my life. I see no change in relationships. I give up on the church. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go somewhere where I will see the change. Okay. I've heard, you know, seminarians going to seminary. You hear a lot of weird ideas, believe it or not, in seminary. Um, And they say the church is here to transform lives. That's our goal. That's our purpose. That's going to lead you to get burned out and fall into despair. 
Because if that's all the church is here for, you're going to learn very quickly that it's a failure. If that's true. If, that, if that's all the church is here for, there's going to be a problem with the way you govern the church and the way you minister to God's people. The gospel is never going to be enough. We're here to worship, glorify, proclaim his name. And he is the one who does the transforming, not the church. The church is not responsible to transform lives. We're responsible to proclaim it and his spirit applies it and his spirit works in the believer. If there's no change in the believer, the problem is not with the church. The problem is with the hardness of man's hearts. This is what God always said in the scriptures, right? The problem was not the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. The problem was the heart of the unbeliever or even the believer who's beginning to harden himself in some way. Uh, Missionaries of his time were being sent around the world only for humanitarian reasons. That's the context. Humanitarianism. If you were to ask anyone, even today in modern liberal denominations or churches, what is the role of a missionary? They would say a few things. And notice what's missing. They would say, clothe the needy, feed the poor, and build houses for the homeless. All good things. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that churches who go overseas, they shouldn't be, you know, Christians shouldn't be involved in these Like I said earlier in the sermon, I'm not saying don't do good things to people. That would be ridiculous, right? That's preposterous. But there was something missing in the message. This is what missions was for Pearl Buck all the way down to President Carter, right? There would be no gospel proclamation, just Jesus as our example. But Jesus... As well as his disciples, if he was our example, right? And if the disciples were our example, they did not just care for the poor. Okay? Their role was not to solve the problem of poverty, but it was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was their main role. Read the scriptures. We can't isolate one or two texts about feeding the poor from the rest of what they were doing. They were also preaching the gospel continually, nonstop. And then when it was passed down to Timothy, the same role was passed down to Timothy. He was to preach in season and out of season the sound doctrine of the gospel, which included the gospel and the fruits of the gospel, which is the good works that we're to do. We're not neglecting good works when we preach the gospel. That's ridiculous to even claim that. But the foundation... Of it is the gospel. It can't be the preaching of good works disconnected from what Christ has done. Also, missionaries of that time were being sent to various countries, such as India, and their role was not to preach and spread the gospel, but to help stop communism from spreading. Their role became political. Uh, I quote Machen here, where he says what was going through their minds as communism was creeping into India and fascism creeping into Japan. He says, we are missionaries to Japan. Japan will be dominated by militarism. 
unless the principles of Jesus have sway. Send us out, therefore, to prevent the calamity of war. That was their purpose. That's what they thought their purpose was, to stop communism. I could understand if that's what the U.S. government thought their purpose was. That's fine. That's their role. They bear the sword. But that's not the role of a missionary. So to the liberal at that time, the principles of Jesus was useful in, the st- in stopping the spread of communism. The missionaries were sent to stop the spread of communism and not to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Christianity around the world became a this-worldly religion, a works-based religion. Right? That's what it became. That's what liberalism became. And if you're in any way a pragmatist, then you'll notice and you'll look around and say, their purpose, their role, their goals were never met. They failed because they didn't stop the spread of communism. Communism today is alive and well, even in this country, in the minds of many people. Then another way of misusing Christianity as a means to an end is the way we speak of community and community building. We know communities possess some natural things in order to exist, such as a drugstore, a country club, a school. But they say, hey, it's missing something. It's missing something to behold. And community leaders will gather, whether in the town hall or or wherever they gather, and they say to themselves, well, this community needs a church. For this community to be whole and healthy, it, it needs a church. Again, in their minds, the church is just a means to an end. And it is not an end in itself. The people do not really have an interest in religion or in the God of the Bible, but they have an interest in a healthy community. That's all. That's all. That's all that's on their mind. They want a church for the sake of the community and not for the glory and honor of God and Christ Jesus. For them, it's only practical. That's pragmatism. That's what pragmatism is. That's utilitarianism as well. For them, it is not for the proclamation of the only gospel that can save souls and glorify God. It is for the well-being of the community. I remember when I was studying to become a pastor, and even now, when I speak to people around, and I tell them that, you know, I study to be a pastor, I'm here to preach God's word, much of the response I receive is that, oh, that is so good for the community. Have you ever heard that? That's so good. You guys are so good for the community. And I'm asking myself, how am I becoming a pastor good for the community? Have they ever heard my messages? My message every Sunday to everyone, I don't care if you're the president, the king of England, or your mother Teresa. My message every Sunday is that you're dead in your sins. And you're heading toward judgment, which you cannot endure unless you turn to Jesus Christ alone. Believe on him and what he has done, and you will be saved. How is that good for the community? It is only good for the community if 100% of them, or we can say a majority, receive that message. It's not going to be well received among the hard-hearted. It's going to divide people. 
Some will believe and others will hate that message. Jesus said he did not come to bring peace but a sword. That sword was going to divide believers and unbelievers. That is not good for the community. Okay? It's not on the top 10 list of what a community needs for it to be healthy. In fact, it causes much division. So what Machen is saying is that Christianity cannot be used as a means to an end, or it is no longer true Christianity. Christianity refuses to be regarded as a mere means to a higher end for the world. Our Lord made that clear when he said, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Christianity will not settle for a means to an end, but it is to be treated as an end in itself. Our relationship to Christ takes priority over all other human relationships. Even the relationship between a husband and a wife. When the church is in turmoil, and people decide not to come to church because of some relationship problems, that is a concern because it is showing that your relationship to others is more important than your relationship and your duty to Christ. Now that text is not at all saying that we are to purposely hate each other in the home. But it is saying that all of our relationships, husband and wife, parent and child, these relationships exist for the sake of Christianity. Christianity does not exist for the sake of these relationships. Christianity does not exist so that you can have a nice relationship with everybody. No, you can have problems in your relationships. But these relationships live for the sake of Christ. So when you approach these relationships, you ought to be approaching with Christ, with the mind of Christ. That's why Christ calls us to forgive one another. Even those sins that we find petty, we are to forgive. Look over those sins. And come together in peace and unity. Because the priority is Christ. Not these relationships. Like they say in the hood. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it backwards. These relationships exist for Christ. Not the other way around. Okay? Not the other way around. If there's problems... In our relationships, we are to turn to Christ and seek the mind of Christ. A lot of people who call themselves Christians say that Christianity is good for the world. It's good for society. It's good for the culture. It's good for the community and community building. It's good for the family, but it's not good for me. I don't need to go to church, right? The church can just... Be there off in the distance, like kind of like a, a trophy that you put on a mantle. It's good to look at once in a while. It's good to drive by, but I'll never go in it because I don't really need it. It's, it's not good enough for me. But that is not Christianity. 
That is not Christianity. Let me quote Machen extensively again and notice his use of the words in order to. Here he sounds optimistic. Knowing Machen and his writings, he's not optimistic. Okay? He sounds optimistic, but there's a catch here. In order for Christianity to be useful, to accomplish useful things, it requires Christians, which we are lacking. It requires a new creation, again, which we are lacking. And he is not saying this uh, optimistically, saying that, oh, there's going to be a golden age of the church. There's going to be this huge uh, revival in the U.S. He's not saying it that way at all. Knowing his context, he's not, he's not optimistic about a revival. Okay, so we need to know that when we read this text. He, he's, again, making the distinction and leading us to his next point, which is that we are to be heavenly-minded, not this worldly-minded. So listen to him and his words and how he uses the words in order to. Christianity will indeed accomplish many useful things in this world. But if it is accepted in order to accomplish those useful things, it is not Christianity. Christianity will combat Bolshevism, which is another word for communism. But if it is accepted in order to combat communism, it is not Christianity. Christianity will produce a unified nation in a slow but satisfactory way. But if it is accepted in order to produce a unified nation, it is not Christianity. Christianity will produce a healthy community. But if it is accepted in order to produce a healthy community, it is not Christianity. Christianity will promote international peace. But if it is accepted in order to promote international peace, it is not Christianity. Our Lord said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, in order that all those other things may be added unto you, you will miss both those other things and the kingdom of God as well. Using Christianity as a means to an end is not true Christianity. And we should reevaluate why we come to the Lord each week. But this was the problem of liberal, liberalism. They wanted to use Christianity just to fix the problems of society. Once it wasn't useful, they throw it out. And we've seen how that has failed. We've seen um, how that has progressed. And now there is a complete denial of Christianity because Christianity is not good for society. 